You're listening to One of One with Sloika, conversations with artists. If you're curious about creators, NFTs, and Web3, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go. Welcome to One of One from Sloika. Today I'm talking with Tara Workman, a talented nature photographer born and raised in Barbados and currently living in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. Tara captures the beauty of the simpler moments of life, celebrating the art of finding wonder in the less obvious. She has a less is more approach and a love for abstracts. Her photography invites viewers to pause, ponder, and admire for even just a moment in this fast-paced existence. Tara won first place for landscape photography in the 2022 Minimalist Photography Awards. She was also named one of the 10 female photographers to watch in 2023 by Petapixel. I'm excited to hear more about her less is more philosophy. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to catch up. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the invite. It's an honor. Awesome. Well, I would first like to hear about your journey. How did you become a photographer? It's always a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I've always been one to take photos just in general. You know, I was the one that, you know, family gatherings, I was always documenting everything, mainly with point and shoot cameras or my phone. I also, I tended to just buy cameras that I didn't know how to use. And so back in 2016, I wanted to buy a new camera. And I was doing all this research about cameras that you could, you know, grow into as a photographer. And my husband, he, he looked at me and he was like, why are you buying another camera? You don't even know how to use the one that you have. And I'm pretty stubborn. And so I really wanted a new camera. I didn't want him to tell me I couldn't, but he was actually being reasonable. So I bought the new camera and I signed up for a course on how to use it. And it was basically, you know, I think it was something like a six week course. You went in in person, you had assignments every week and I became obsessed. You know, it just, I don't know, it took off from there and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you're doing well. I think you grew into your camera really well. <laughs> yeah, I think he's happy, but some days he regrets it because we play a lot less golf than we used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you're taking golf photos, I guess it's not really conducive to have that extra no, he, piece of equipment with you. He, yeah, I think I've taken my camera with me to play maybe twice. He did not appreciate it, and so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it would slide right off the seat of the golf course. Indeed, indeed, yeah. <laughs> so about your less is more philosophy in your photography, I was just curious when that started. When did you discover this ability to abstract the world? Yeah, I think that kind of happened by accident more than anything else. So I think it may be about three years ago, four years ago, so I live in the Pacific Northwest. You know, as a landscape photographer, there's so much to do. We've got the coast, we've got mountains, we've got waterfalls, we've pretty much got everything. And so when I learned photography, I actually learned it in the Instagram era where, you know, everybody was kind of, you know, there were certain images that were very popular and where I lived and the friends that I met through photography, we would go out and we would shoot, you know, the big iconic things like Multnomah Falls and Mount Hood and different things. And there was a point where I felt like everything was very formulaic. I felt like we were doing the same things over and over based on seasons, you know. So April, May, you've got tulip season for spring, you've got Milky Way seasons, you've got fall where you would go to the same places. And 
beautiful. I still go to those places and I enjoy it. It's just with regards to photography, I just felt like I was doing the same things over and over. And so I don't know exactly when it happened, but I started looking at some of the photographers that I admired and started looking at their work and trying to figure out why I loved it and you know what set them apart. And basically, I just found that they weren't doing what everyone else was doing. They were kind of doing their own thing. And so I got to a point where I started to wonder if I could be creative, you know, in my own right. Yeah, I'm actually a family physician full time. And so I've always been in the sciences and never really been in the art world. And so creativity, I don't feel like it came naturally to me. And so I did a couple of, you know, conferences online. I started doing tutorials from a lot of the photographers that I looked up to. And gradually, I just started experimenting and just going out with my camera without expectation. And once I started following more of my curiosity rather than trends, you know, naturally just gravitated towards what I'm shooting now. And I think abstracts just, I don't know, they're fun and you never know what you're going to get. You also never know what the viewer is going to see. And some of them I don't think are that great, but I share them anyway. And then, you know, people love them more than I would expect. And I don't know, it's been a fun journey just in general. So that was a long-winded explanation of how I got here. That's really great. I was wondering, what's your description or definition, rather, of abstract, like in your mind? When you're thinking about your abstract, are there voices in your head that's like, that's it, that's it? (laughs) No, I mean, it's, I don't know. I think for me, I look at shapes, I look at colors, I look at, you know, light and shadow play. And I don't see something and say, oh, that's going to make a good abstract shot. What I tend to do is I tend to look through the viewfinder and I play around with angles. And looking through the viewfinder, there's certain things that appeal to me. But not everything that appeals is going to actually make a good image, if that makes sense. So a lot of times I have to come to the computer and sometimes the light isn't quite right or the color combinations don't work. And so it's a lot of experimenting. It's a lot of playing around, but it's following my curiosity in terms of how shapes look and how they appeal to me. So I'm drawn to certain things, but I don't always know if it's going to work or not if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I was curious how much of it happens in the field versus at home and post-processing. And when you mentioned the computer, I was just curious, like, you shoot something in the field and you're like, let's work on that later or yeah. whether it's all or nothing. That's a great question because a lot of the people that I follow and get advice from, they love to get it in the field and they will spend a ton of time getting the composition absolutely right. I like to wander. Mm-hmm. And so for me... There are, I would say it's probably 50-50 where sometimes I see it, I know it's going to be what I want, but I generally don't spend a ton of time, you know, at one spot. I spend time just making sure that I get something that I can work with, but I would say 50-50. So I do a lot of, you know, sand dune images and stuff like that. And most of the people that I go out with, they'll find a place that they want to shoot, they'll find the composition and they'll stay there until the light changes and they'll capture multiple images and different ways of the light. Whereas I move, I'm just moving. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for me, if the light is perfect with the composition at that time, great. If not, that's okay. But I, I keep moving. And so I think I like that there are a lot of imperfections and I'm not a huge post processor. I don't love to be on the computer for very long, but I will play around with shapes, I will turn images, I will crop in ways that I think is more pleasing to my eye, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
just for people who are listening who maybe haven't had a chance to see your photography. So we're not talking macro images. We're talking like you're looking at like wide open landscapes and abstracting those in most cases, right? But do you do some closer type? You Do you look close? Yeah. So I do both. I just love, I love nature just in general. And so I have a macro lens. It's just that I don't take it out with me as much. So if I'm going on a trip, chances are I don't have my macro lens. But during the pandemic, especially, I spent a lot of time just going into my neighbor's garden, just walking around the neighborhood, the dog park with my macro lens. And so the thing that I love about abstracts is it could be macro. It could be a grand scene. The context of scale is taken away, which makes it even more fun for me. Yeah, it sounds like then it becomes more about, like you said, the shapes, the light, the color, the composition. I like the idea that you sometimes twist things or turn things, you know, like, no, that's better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's the fun of abstracts is that it can be whatever you want it to be. And, you know, I have a good friend, TJ Thorne. I've learned so much from him and sometimes I'll send him images and he'll be like, well, you know, if you turn it this way and then I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh my God, that's so much better. Or he'll crop it. And yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that. And I also love seeing how other people see things because we all have our different, you know, our different way of seeing the world. And that's what I love about photography in general. Yeah, it's so personal, I think, to the mm -hmm. artist, right? TJ Thorne, of course, is one of the people, but are there any other people that you find either influence your work or that you like to follow what they're doing? Yeah. So one of my closest friends, Jared Armijo, you know, most of my growth, especially in the, you know, three years ago, four years ago, came from him. And he's so artistic and he loves to push boundaries. And he and I, you know, we did a lot of road trips together. And so we talk a lot about colors and shapes and we disagree so often but <laughs> it's great because it opens my mind and you know it opens my eyes to different things so he's been an amazing influence and then a lot of the other photographers so Alex Noriega, Sarah Marino, Jennifer Renwick, Bruce Percy, Renee Elgesheimer, there are a lot. There are tons. But they generally all have very different styles, which I love. Yeah. I always find I can really appreciate other people's style and just not have any idea of like myself ever doing something like that. <laughs> it's great to appreciate other people like, yeah, you do that really, really well. No way I can try that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was curious about, because I get such a peaceful, calm feeling from a lot of your images. And I was wondering how much of that is reflected in your own like real life world or whether photography is like great balancing factor or oh maybe a busier life. Yeah. So I generally find life very messy, chaotic. I crave simplicity. Like just politics and taxes. And I find that everything is just too complicated. Like if you just simplified everything, everyone's lives would be so much better. And, you know, you can strive for simplicity, but it's really, really hard to do. And so people have asked me this question and I I've started looking more at my photography. And I think when I'm out in nature, you know, I don't have music on. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just basically walking around by myself. And I think that is the most peaceful that I am. And I think the simplicity that I seek comes out in my work. I always say that photography is my happy place because 
you know, there's never really a time where I go out there and I'm grumpy. It doesn't matter what is going on. I could be in a terrible mood, but if I get out in nature somewhere, my mood is better. And I will also say that since changing to more of a opportunistic follow your curiosity style, I have no expectations of going out there and finding a specific image. And so my expectations are low. I'm generally less I'm never disappointed, really. And they're more pleasant surprises than anything else. That's great. Yeah, it's a really good antidote. I think the hardest part for me is always like breaking free from this like like life and going, oh, I could just step outside with my camera and go find in that mood. But it's like the hardest part of running is putting on your shoes, basically like that. Yeah. You have to make the decision. And I think I'm really grateful to my husband because before what would happen is we would go on these trips, we'd go on these vacations together, and then I would try to get photography in there. And then you're taking away from the experience for the family, but you're also not focusing on the photography. So now I do dedicated photography trips or, you know, just go out on my own if I have an hour or so with, with the camera. And that has been the best balance where I'm kind of like, okay, this is my photography time. This is my family time. This is my work time. I'm still always tired, but I'm happier. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to see the results of your curiosity. (laughs) There you go. It's been fun sharing and talking to you was never part of the plan. The plan was just to find a way of expressing myself in photography that I felt fulfilled by. The fact that people actually enjoy it, I don't know, blows my mind, really. Well, that brings me to my next question, which, of course, is you are now very involved in the NFT space, I would say, Mm -hmm. because you're on several platforms. You have some beautiful images. You have a sold-out series on Sloika. How did you make the decision to step into the NFT space? What was that like? That was like Jared Armijo dragging me into it. (laughs) Hey, Jared. I know. So, yeah, so basically I've been in it, you know, tangentially since 2021, he was the one that we were like, you're the artistic one, you should do this. And so all of us friends, we kind of encouraged him to put work out and we all put work out, but we didn't really try. And then he had a bunch of success and then everybody was doing collections and stuff like that. So I finally put out a collection and I remember going into a D space and talking about my work for the first time ever. And it was horrendous. And my heart was pumping and it was just too much for me, if that makes sense. And I also didn't know who I wanted to be as an artist. This was always supposed to be a a hobby. So I kind of took a step back, kind of watched a little bit. And then I decided, you know, okay, I think there's something here, but I need to do it as me and not take part in all the frenzy and stuff like that. And that's actually when I joined Sloika. So I wanted to be a little bit more intentional with my work. You know, as a full-time physician, I didn't have a lot of time to promote myself and stuff like that. And I thought joining a platform where it was a community, where we were all kind of promoting each other, I thought that was a better fit for me. And... I don't know. Things kind of took off from there. I slowly just built more relationships with a lot more people in the community. And a year later, I'm enjoying myself a lot more than the initial when everybody was selling. I hated it. And now we're kind of in this bear market where there's not a lot of success. But I feel like I've made more genuine connections, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. When things are a little slower like this, it gives us a chance to make those connections. I was curious about if you have a favorite story when a piece sold, like whether it was your first one or like 
one to a specific person that you were like, yeah, yeah, that person bought my art. Like, do you have any recollections of cool sale? (laughs) Yeah. So I think for me, it's more the collector than the sale. So out of the blue... You know, I hadn't sold anything for months. And then out of the blue, one of my images, The Journey, sold. You know, an auction got started by Bat Soup Yum. And he's a pretty big collector in the space. And so it was one of those things where, like, why? What on earth is going on? And through that sale, one, that sale I got through a recommendation from a friend to him. And from that, he has been in, you know, the Web3 crypto space for years. And so he's kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. He's been an ear in terms of advice, but he's also been a champion for me as an artist and a champion for a lot of other artists. And he's just one of those people that just, I don't know, he makes me want to help others. He makes me, he's just a good human. And I don't know, that sale, I feel like, you know, selling out Sloika was amazing. I've sold other pieces, but I feel like that sale sort of changed the trajectory of how I saw Web3 in general. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I consider him a friend now. And so that would probably be the most memorable. That's really cool. And it started from a friend sharing your work, putting that in front of him. That's cool. That seems so Web3, (laughs) where we kind of are here to be like our best selves. (laughs) No, I agree. And for me, especially since I don't have a lot of time to be you know, in spaces or the fact that somebody else put my name forward. And I think I've made a lot of sales through people sharing my work. And so, you know, I think it's important for me to one, just understand that everybody helps everybody and we all win. So I just, I always hold that and try to pay it forward where I can. Yeah. I know a lot of times we're hearing, you know, statistic, easy for me to say, statistics mm-hmm. <laughs> about women in the NFT space. And I guess being a woman myself out in the NFT space and being a photographer, sometimes it hits you in the face and sometimes it's really not on my radar at all because I'm just doing my thing and everything. But then you look at some numbers and you're just like, wait a minute, this is not okay. There's a lot more very talented women artists out there whose work should be those highest price pieces and sought after by collectors and everything. I was just curious about your perspective, you know, since you're in like the bigger community of NFTs and of course represented on Super Rare and Foundation and all these other places. What's your insight? What do you see out there? So I try to look at things more rationally than emotionally. The emotional part of me definitely gets frustrated by what I see, but the rational part of me looks at the space in general. And so you have most of the people in crypto and in Web3 are men. There are boys clubs. And so generally, you're going to have biases towards men in general. It's just harder for women to break through. And so, you know, you're going to have the Kath Simards. Every once in a while, you're going to have people who break through. But it's a slog in the mud. It's, you know, it's going uphill. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got people like Batsoup, Yum, who are open to looking. And you have to have these conversations and you have to actually just make people aware that there are talented women out there, some that are more talented than a lot of the men. And this is not taking anything away from the men. There are a lot of men that are talented and men deserve just as much praise as women. It's very skewed. And so it takes a bigger effort for women to actually be put to the forefront. You know, I'm a black female. I come from a small island in the Caribbean. It's even harder for me just in general. But for me, I just look at it as a challenge. I look at it as something that is worth fighting for. 
And, you know, when people see success from women like me, from women like you in the forefront, you know, helping others, it just encourages other women to then come forward because it's discouraging if you don't see anybody that looks like you. So for me, I think it's just important to just understand that it is going to be a battle. Understanding the environment that we're actually in, it's very male-dominated just because it's very techy. So, and the people who have most of the money, especially in this bear market, are going to be the people who've been in crypto for a long time, which are generally more men. So it's harder. So I think it's good to be emotional about it. I think it's also good to be rational about it. And I think we just fight the good fight and we keep fighting it. But we also want to put quality out there. I think it's important not to get bogged down with sex, race only and put quality work out there because that's what's important. You know, getting good art, getting people who deserve it recognition. Yeah. And it comes from things like just having the conversation, I think. And also, like you said, your friend did. And what you also do is just help share other people's work, support other artists. And exactly. You know, yeah. Be, yeah. Be doing those things. Yeah. Really no, cool. Definitely. Well, I did notice also that you are a collector of NFTs. And I was wanting to ask you about how you decide to collect either art or other INSA NFT projects that have other utility going on. So what's your philosophy in collecting? Um, I like the underdog. You know, I like, <laughs> I mean, there's certain pieces that, that catch my eye. But if you're generally a more popular artist, I might not buy it because I figure somebody's going to buy it. I like buying from the people who don't expect it. But I also, I want to enjoy the work. So I generally will buy work that I enjoy you know, I've been very fortunate with sales and stuff like that. And so I generally put aside a little bit to give back to the community. And I don't know, I think it's also fun. And I remember when I was starting out, it makes a huge difference when you feel like you're not successful, when you feel like you're invisible and a sale comes out of the blue. So for me, I like being, you know, the unexpected Santa Claus, you know. <laughs> yeah, some of us have experienced that where it's like you're just going along well said. Yeah, those days when you get those emails like there's an auction started or you sold yeah. a piece. Like yeah. I don't know. I jump around the room. I'm like, hey. Yeah. So my husband's office is at the other end of the house. And so I usually run down there and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it never gets old. No, sure. no. Well, before we wrap up, I was going to ask what's new, what's coming from you in Web3 or Web2 or anything. You know, a big part of the why that I do a lot of things is out of gratitude. And so I actually started this project, this pay it forward edition project, and I've done one so far. And so basically the premise of it is to thank people for supporting me in any way. You know, you could have shared my work. You could have just, I don't know, there's some people who, they just make me happy when I see their tweets and stuff like that. And so what I did a few weeks ago was I got a list of people. I've been keeping this list for probably the last six months or so, compiling all of these people that have just shown kindness in, in different ways. And I basically put out an edition, I airdropped one to them and I get and I let them choose somebody that they wanted to pay it forward to. And so they got a free edition. They got to choose somebody to get a free edition. And then my plan is to do at least two more of those throughout the year. And the hope is that basically we can just spread some love, you know, just yeah. you don't have to have ETH, you don't have to have bought anything from me. And so what I'm thinking of doing is the people who received the last pay it forward, they get to choose who receives the next one. And then it just goes on. So that's my big project cool. for 2023. Yeah. 
I love it. I love it. Tara, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's such a pleasure to catch up with you. I know we've had some chances to talk in spaces like way early on and then life happens. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's been a pleasure. It's really, really, I don't know. For me, thinking about our relationship at the beginning of Sloika and just the kindness that you've shown, I'm just grateful and honored that you asked. Thanks. That's great. Well, we'll let you get back to your day and we'll keep an eye on you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.